0: You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post.
1: It was a global news story that was decades in the making, with huge implications for the future of China. For more than 70 years, it's been the country with the biggest population in the world. But now, the People's Republic of China has lost its number one ranking. India is now the world's most populous country after overtaking China this year. They are both neck and neck at
2: 1.4 billion citizens. But China's appears to be already declining.
1: This was a very big deal. But this was much more than just China coming second to India in a baby-making competition. This was about China's population actually declining for the first time in 60 years. Let me give you the context for that. The last time China's population fell was 60 years ago, after the world's largest and deadliest famine, in which some 30 million Chinese people starved to death. But there was much more detail to be had about how we got to this moment. For decades, China has enjoyed what's known as a demographic dividend. That's a huge number of people who are of working age, far outnumbering children or the elderly who depend on their incomes. That dividend created a window of opportunity for economic development and growth. But here's the thing, the window was temporary. A couple of years ago, my late colleague, John Carter, summed it up like this. China had to get rich before it got old. That's an adaptation of a statement made back in 1986 by a Chinese demographer named Wu Tanping. When China was still young and poor, Wu predicted that China would be Wei Fu Xian Lao, meaning that China was going to get old before it got rich. And now we're in the year 2023, and Wu's forecast has become a prophecy. And it's not just a year where China's population has started to decline. It's also a year where the number of people older than 65 has more than doubled since the start of the century. And it's a year for two new records in Chinese history. Just last month, a record number of high school students, almost 13 million of them, sat for the crucial exams that qualify them for college. And right now, the single largest group of college students in Chinese history, nearly 12 million of them, are about to graduate. They're going to be looking for work at a time of historically high youth unemployment, up around 20%. So, not enough babies, too many retirees, the millennials and Gen Z are stuck in the middle, and 12 million graduates are about to try and enter the workforce. This is China's Demographic Revolution. My name is Jasmine Tse, podcast producer for the South China Morning Post here in Hong Kong. And this is episode one, Birth of a Crisis. A deep change is happening in China right now, partly driven by policy and partly driven by a generation that is calling for change. When you look at China's population crisis, you might well think it's not exactly rocket science. Just have more babies and you solve your aging population problem. But that's exactly the kind of thinking that created this problem. Because Beijing's infamous one child policy was actually conceived and delivered by rocket scientists. Mao Zedong, the founder of the People's Republic of China, the government promoted policies that rewarded families based on the number of workers they created to help with the Great Leap Forward. But by the 1960s, Chinese families had an average of six children, and the government had already started encouraging people to have fewer kids. After the shock of the Great Famine, fears of overpopulation grew even further. The five-year plan for 1970 included, for the first time, targets for the population growth rate. Contraceptive and abortion services were introduced, and there were heavy promotions of later marriages, longer intervals between births and smaller families. Then, in the year 1980, a group of men proposed a solution, a one-child policy. This group, led by a man named Song Jian, were known for their work in missile science, and they thought they could control women's fertility the way they controlled rockets, simply by flipping a switch. But that's not how it works. Regardless, the government went on to spend 35 years enforcing harsh penalties on those who violated the policy. Those who had more than one child risked losing their jobs. Some were sent to jail. And couples who went through with a second pregnancy had to pay a hefty fine that was multiple times more than their yearly income parents didn't pay a fine, that second child could not be registered in the national household system, meaning they did not legally exist and had no access to social services like health care and education. Women were dragged to hospitals and forced to have abortions. One of the most infamous cases was in 2012, a 22-year-old woman named Feng Tianmei was seven months pregnant with her second child. She and her husband were told to pay a fine of 40,000 yuan, or 6,000 US dollars, a fine which they could not afford. So while Feng was still pregnant, the local family planning officials went to her house, abducted her, and gave her an injection, which killed her seven-month-old fetus. Women were also forced to get sterilized. So my mom
2: had to go through that medical procedure As mandatory, I think that's enforced at a community and in the workplace.
1: This is Rachel. She works in Beijing as a freelance writer, and she's 30 years old. Rachel said that when she was growing up in the 90s, government propaganda about the one-child policy was everywhere.
2: There were a lot of policy pushing at a community level, like my family, they have heard from the community head of the building, which in Chinese is called about the benefits of having only child and the type of cash motivation they could receive.
1: China's National Family Planning Committee also displayed slogans across the country on fences, on walls, on billboards, with messages like these. Having only one child is good. Serve the nation with fewer and better births. One more baby beats one more tube." If one child is born outside the policy, the whole village gets sterilized. If you want to get rich, have fewer children, grow more trees, and raise more pigs. Chinese culture goes back centuries in its preference for boys. Firstborn sons are expected to carry on the family line and support the older generations. As a result, the one-child policy led to sex-selective abortions and female infanticide. And this created a huge gender-ratio imbalance in the country. And since then, it's no great surprise that there's many more men than women in China last year in 2022, there were 35 million more men than women. But that number plays out very differently depending on whether you live on a farm in the countryside or if you're living in a big city like Shanghai or Beijing. What does that number mean in real life?
2: I think I've heard of this phenomenon happening in China because more, I think, higher educated women that moved in their social ladder, so from maybe countryside to the first, second-tier city. So that left a lot of men in the rural side of China.
1: You're going to hear more about how important this concept of first- and second-tier cities is in China in just a few minutes. But here's a bit more on how this imbalance between birth rates for boys and girls plays out in the rural areas of China. This is a report from Al Jazeera back in 2010. Welcome to the most miserable place in China for lovers. Here, where single men sit around all day, it seems, with nothing to do. You come across them everywhere, listless and hopeless. Al Jazeera interviewed a family that had four grown-up sons. All four of them were single. They tell us they've all given up on finding a wife. In a country where there are more men vying for fewer women, they say
0: they've got little to offer.
1: And sure, a bunch of single men sitting around all day with nothing to do might sound like your average sports bar. But the reality of what that culture created was far more horrifying.
2: I think a pretty extreme example is the case where we see the chained up woman happened in the news in
1: January 2022, a video on Douyin, that's the Chinese version of TikTok, went viral. It showed a middle-aged woman chained to the wall by her neck, standing in the corner of a doorless shed. It was later revealed that the woman was trafficked from the southwestern province of Yunnan to the eastern province of Jiangsu. She had been sold not once, but twice as a bride and had given birth to eight children. Which really
2: enraged the whole Chinese society to see there is still trafficking of women to fulfill the need of men in countryside to get married and have family so that practice seemingly very not very modern and progressive but i believe is still a common practice among the lower tier cities in china so that i think is a real problem
1: The central government responded to this case with a high-level investigation and a year-long police crackdown. Seventeen local officials were punished. Two bloggers in China did their own investigation and exposed systematic trafficking of women sold as brides in these areas, resulting in the Ministry of Public Security launching a campaign to combat this trade in women and children. As part of the campaign, authorities set up more than 5,000 free blood collection points across the country so that people with missing family members could give samples to a database to help identify potential relatives. But that's a long way from the reality in Beijing.
2: I think among friends around me, this racial imbalance, I don't feel is that impactful for my personal life.
1: For Rachel, it's not so much about the quantity as much as it is the quality. She said there's a stereotype to describe the men in Beijing born under the one-child policy. That's ma bao, or mama's boy. They're perhaps
2: uh, spoiled by their family, and they have the good fortune to, you know, have several houses in Beijing. So materially, they're not worried but their spoiled family life could make them adapting to a mentality which they rely on more, the caring of their mother. So even when they step into adulthood, they were still looking for that kind of relationship pattern from a woman. And even among my friends and I, we joked about this stereotype. But I think it is a real phenomenon and no judgment. That kind of man, I think, is, exists in different countries.
1: But because of this huge ratio imbalance, it's safe to say there's a lot more ma baos than Rachel's in China. And for me, it feels somewhat immature. But what if the women born during the one-child policy These women, including Rachel, have received their parents and grandparents' undivided attention and support. They have now grown up to become the most educated woman in Chinese history. I was
2: educated abroad for about 10 years. I did my high school in America, then college and grad school. And I recently come back to Beijing a
1: couple years ago. Rachel said that she and her friends, who are also highly educated female professionals, all face pressure from the parents to settle down and start a family.
2: There is a looming anxiousness, and we do talk about it at a daily basis. I think the craving for having
1: a family, have child, it's pretty present for among my friends' group. She's currently single and she said she and her friends do want to find a partner. But that doesn't mean they'll settle down for anyone. They've got different priorities now.
2: We want a partner that support us, support our career, and also support our decision that, okay, maybe we won't have a kid in the future because we do want to focus more on our career, on our self-development.
1: Besides being the most educated, the women born during the one-child policy are also the most affluent in Chinese history. They're the direct inheritors of China's economic success story.
3: Sibling-less status is actually a game-changer for women.
1: Dr. Ye Liu is a senior lecturer in international development at King's College London, and she's the author of some very significant studies, including one which looks into the women born and raised during the one-child policy. She interviewed 82 women who all had different financial backgrounds, but they did have one thing in common.
3: One thing in common is the the sole heir of all their parents' assets. So the women I interviewed are co-owners of properties with their parents and co-owner the properties with their husbands, because their husbands also contributed to this kind of a down payment for the properties. And then some women, I think around nearly a third of the women I interviewed, actually had more financial property assets than their husband.
1: Now, China replaced its one-child policy with a two-child policy in 2016, and that was later replaced with a three-child policy in 2021. But birth rates have continued to drop. Dr. Liu interviewed women in their late 20s and 30s who had to decide whether to have a second child. Among her interviewees, there were some who either already had a second child or were planning to have one. There were many more who hadn't made a decision yet. And there were some who flat out rejected having more kids. Dr. Liu calls them the rebels. The
3: rebels were the group of women who had really good careers, more likely to be the kind of a mid-career stage. And they told me in China there is a saying women hit the kind of a golden age of a career when they're in their mid-30 to mid-40. And this is a golden opportunity for them to, you know, further their career ambitions, to do something bigger and to take a more leadership role, to take much more management role. And so they're clearly ambitious and they have wide range of skills and very uh, high level educational qualification, which allow them to make this jump. So they call it the jump in their mid-career jump. These rebels are also advocates of gender equality. They reject the patriarchal definitions about women's uh, worth. So they believe their self-worth should be determined by their professional identity, by their ambitions, rather than by virtues. So virtues, you know, in their own words, means virtuous wife and good mother. They are not very keen on these labels. They are more likely to be caught by their professional identities. And they thought to self-worth through professional achievement rather than by this kind of private identity.
1: Authorities are finding out the hard way that changing 35 years of coercive birth control is going to take a lot more than propaganda. And churning out new slogans such as one is too little, two is just right, won't easily change the decades-long perception that having only one child is good. You probably know that Weibo is the Chinese version of Twitter. Well, there's a website that we love called What's on Weibo that translates the big hashtags and conversations on Weibo. Here are some of the responses by women on Weibo to the new two-child policy.
2: It needs to be said that there are many ways to improve women's status. And the one-child policy is the most inhumane one. It has caused a lot of damage to women's health. The policy was never intended to improve the status of women. That was just a byproduct. Since the introduction of the
0: two-child policy, male-female relations have been more out of tune. The mortality rate of pregnant women has gone up, and the discrimination on the employment market has increased dramatically. Our reproduction rights are being taken away from us, step by step. Now they enthusiastically promote for us to return home and have a second baby. Will they also promote for us to obey our fathers, husbands and sons, and to bind our feet? As an independent and contemporary woman, we don't really depend on men to help us in our life. So being single and being independent, it's kind of our right to live freely here.
1: This is Natalia. She works in Beijing in the arts and culture sector, and she's 32 years old. Natalia said that she and her friends have a group chat named Growing Old Together. That yeah, we're just making fun of each other, that we, when we are getting old, that we can rent a house together
0: somewhere, not in Beijing or Yunnan or somewhere, they have a good climate that we can't be together yeah, and take care of each other.
1: And I'm curious, mm-hmm. what do your parents think of all of this? Do they put any pressure on you to get married quickly or to raise kids?
0: I think parents are always, they want their children to be happy. And like my parents, they feel like I need someone to be a life partner because they're also getting old. I'm a little bit emotional because my parents just talked about this this morning. Um, um, it, it's not like I don't want to meet their expectations. It's just so hard.
1: Do you mm. mind explaining, like talking to us a bit more about that, like what was that conversation like?
0: Yes, because we don't live in the same city that much. So they come to visit me for a month and they're living tomorrow. So when we live together, they don't really talk about this topics at all. but seems they're going to leave tomorrow, they feel like, okay, we need to pick up this topic. And then you have to put that in your line. So that's why they become the topic during our breakfast time. And it's not that they ask me, you have to get married this year or what. It's just you need to really think about it. Cause you are not young anymore. And I think in Asian cultures that men tend to find women that are much younger than them. So when women get older, they don't have much choices. That's how the stereotype in, kids, in people's mind.
1: But then for you, you don't agree with that?
0: I don't agree with that, but you have to admit. In China, that's it.
1: In China, there's a term to describe women in their late 20s and 30s and unmarried. Shengnu, or leftover woman. This term was brought in as a way of pressuring women into getting married. And it seems to be working on Natalia's parents.
0: In my parents' generation, people never imagined them being getting married Over thirty, because most of them getting married, having kids under thirty. But now, because I live in Beijing, so many of my friends were the same age. We we're not getting married, but in my hometown, in second tier city, all my parents' friends, their kids are having babies. And my parents said they don't find common topic with their friends at home because I don't have kids for them to talk.
1: So let me catch you up on how China categorizes its cities. It's based on tiers. There's four tiers, and the first one consists of cities that are highly developed, both in infrastructure and economy.
0: In China, we have four first-tier cities, like in Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Guangzhou. Uh, firstly, it is graded by its economic growth. And because of its economic growth, that so many young people from other places, they move, they migrate into this area. So they don't have any bond with the city, and they don't have relatives in this place so most of them live independently in the first-year city so people can be you have your own free will to choose what kind of lifestyle that you want to live yeah that's how I feel that you have freer space and you don't feel the peer pressure just right close to you.
1: So this kind of independent lifestyle in Beijing has influenced your feelings that you don't need a partner to feel happy, you don't need kids to take care of you, but you can just live with your friends and grow old together. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yeah. Rachel introduced us to the idea of ma bao, So I asked Natalia what she thought of the men in Beijing. I don't want to attack
0: on someone or like a group of people, I think. There are good men out there, but most of the good men don't get married or have a girlfriend pretty quickly or at an early age, so most of them men out there, like leftover men, they're not good at all. So people always judge women as leftover
1: women, but there are a lot of leftover men out there, and they're not even good. These educated, affluent women are living independent lives. They're not settling down for just anyone. In fact, they might not settle down at all. They're making plans to grow old with their friends. They own property. They've got established careers. These women, who were once called leftovers, are now finding themselves empowered because now there's the technology to let them freeze their eggs and control their future family plans. That's what we're going to learn more about in our next episode.